This is Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. We're getting into this week's top headlines. All four major electric utilities in New Hampshire are increasing their rates. We're also headed into the cold season, which means many Granite Staters will have to pay much more for their heating this winter. Joining me now to talk about some rising energy costs is NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian and New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Goki. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Rick. Thank you both for coming to the studio this morning. Um, let's talk about energy costs here. Unitel, the latest of the four major electric utilities to request approval for a rate increase. Just this week, the company asking lawmakers to approve a 77% hike. Mara, what does this mean for customers' electric bills? Yeah, so if the state's Public Utilities Commission approves this rate increase, starting in December, the typical residential Unitil customer would start seeing up to 100 extra dollars on their electric bill. That rate's going to last for eight months. And of course, that depends on how much energy you use. And this rate is, is larger than what the state's other three utilities have requested last summer. Uh, Amanda, what did New Hampshire's consumer advocate uh, have to, to say about all this? Yeah, so Don Crease, the consumer advocate, basically said that consumers are at a breaking point right now. And at some point, it becomes, and these are his words, unconscionable to raise electric, electric rates so high. He said that back in the summer when Eversource and Liberty both requested higher rates, he felt like he had no choice to go along with them, but indicated that now he's considering challenging Unitil on this latest request. Well, Mara, what do we know about why electricity rates are rising so much? What, what, I mean, this is a very sharp increase. Yeah, so, well, the big reason is because natural gas markets are really wild right now. New England's electricity grid is super reliant on natural gas. And after Russia invaded Ukraine, global energy prices went into a frenzy. Experts expect to see high volatility and high prices this winter. Also, New England isn't sitting on top of any fossil fuel reserves. We're at the end of the gas pipeline system, so we can't easily bring in more when demand is high. That means we import liquefied natural gas, or LNG, but U.S. suppliers of LNG have been scrambling to help European countries that are also having trouble with natural gas, and the price of LNG has gone up, too. As for why people are seeing different rates, that really depends on the timing of when your utility is buying their power. So Eversource and Liberty set their rates earlier than Unitil. Um, and when those two utilities make contracts for their power, they split up the winter months when electricity can be more expensive because natural gas is also being used for heat and, and Unitil doesn't do that split. Now, one option that consumers have is, is to switch to a third-party supplier. Uh, Amanda, what should people be mindful of if they decided to, to shop around? Yeah, and this is definitely an option that the consumer advocate and other energy experts are are encouraging people to look into right now who are facing just such astoundingly high rates. So you're going to want to first figure out how much you're actually paying for energy right now. So you're going to look at your bill and you're going to try to figure out what's the price per kilowatt hour of electricity to sort of have a baseline um, comparison when you go out shopping for other options. Um, when you're looking at these other new offers, you should pay attention to whether the price is fixed or if it's variable. If it is going to vary, you should understand if you're going to be notified when that's happening or what the timing is of that change. Um, you should find out if there's a contract, and if so, how long does it last for? So as Mara had mentioned, utilities get their energy twice per year, so every six months you're seeing a different electric rate. Mm -hmm. Some of these contracts can be really long. They can be 18 months. So if you're locked in at a particular rate, um, you have some risk associated there because so the general rate could go down. 
Yeah, you need to do your homework there. Um, officials predicting there could be a heating fuel shortage uh, in the Northeast this winter, as as uh, Maura was pointing out. There, you know, we're at the end of the line here. Heating fuel costs rising at the same time, of course. Amanda, what's happening there? Are we are we worried at all about shortages? Yeah. So this is, um, you know, compared to the fast past five years, New England's home oil supply is down 63%. Um, So that's low enough that the U.S. government believes it could lead to shortages um, during a New England storm that could cause outages. Um, And New England is at a greater risk here because it does import a lot of oil and fuel from other parts of the country. So back in August, this prompted the U.S. Department of Energy to send letters to the New England governors, basically telling them to shore up on oil supplies before this winter. Okay. Well, uh, electricity, heating, fuel, no, no matter what, we know they're going to be more expensive as we head into the coldest season. Mara, what, what kind of assistance programs are out there for people who might be struggling to cover those rising costs? Right. So there's these fuel and electricity assistance programs that can help with energy bills. For electric assistance, Granite Staters who qualify can get a discount on bills up to 76%. And for fuel assistance, benefits range from about $150 to $1,500. An extra $405 credit was approved as an extra electricity benefit for households who were already enrolled in assistance programs. And then the state approved a new program or two new programs really a couple weeks ago that expands this assistance to more residents, specifically to people making 60 to 75 percent of the statewide median income. So that program includes $450 for fuel assistance and $200 for electric assistance. And to get enrolled in any of those programs, the place to start is at your local community. Action Agency. Those phone numbers can be found at capnh.org. We've heard from some residents that the application process can be really confusing. The CAP agencies say they have more information now about how the rollout of the new programs is going to work. And even if people, you know, haven't applied in the past, they should start applying. Okay, so don't hesitate if you do need the assistance. Yeah. Yeah. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Goki and NHPR's Mara Hoplamazian. If you have some questions about what's going on in the state, you can inform our reporting. Email us at voices at nhpr.org. I want to turn to something else energy-related. One proposed solution to rising energy costs is for New Hampshire to move away from its dependency on natural gas and toward more renewable energy sources. Mora, you reported on a study this week that looked at how valuable distributed energy sources like, like solar panels are to the energy grid. What did that research show? Right. So making electricity closer to where you consume it can bring a variety of benefits. One big one is avoiding the costs associated with transporting that electricity over big transmission lines. And this study looked at the value of all of those different benefits together. So for a residential solar panel added to the grid in 2021, the researchers calculated that the value per kilowatt hour is around 16 cents. That's more than people with solar panels got paid in New Hampshire in 2021 for the power that they put back onto the grid. So there is this value there. Um, And then, you know, including environmental externalities like the social cost of carbon dioxide increases that value. Also, the study used data from before the most recent spike in energy prices, which also many say could increase the value of those systems. But the research also addressed questions about cost shifting or, you know, the concern that some electricity customers being able to get repaid for the value of their renewable power would raise electricity prices for other customers. Um, And it shows under a couple of different scenarios that it would raise bills for customers 
consumers who don't have their own renewables by just a little bit, around 1%. And it would decrease bills really significantly for customers who do have their own renewables. And New Hampshire's consumer advocate, who Amanda also talked about earlier, um, he advocates on behalf of ratepayers. He said this might put to rest the argument that there's an unreasonable cost shift happening here for for net metering those kinds of systems. Okay, I, I'm wondering about you know what this research shows when it comes to to those net metering rules. That's when you know folks with solar panels can get compensated for their that extra energy that they're feeding back into the grid. Yeah, so New Hampshire has a set of rules right now for you know how much people can get paid back through net metering, but the Public Utilities Commission just opened a new docket to reconsider those rules. That's starting in January, and the study is expected to be one of the centerpieces of that new proceeding. Amanda, you released a series this week about how um, fire is being used as a regenerative force in New Hampshire. You reported that the Abenaki leaders are working alongside the U.S. Forest Service to bring back some fire practices that were used by indigenous people. Tell, Tell us more about that. It's a really interesting story. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this this the backdrop of the story. We oftentimes hear headlines about fire as a you know wildfires in particular out west as a really destructive force that can um, damage you know ecosystems, destroy a lot of homes, and so there's a lot of fear around fire sort of in our cultural um, repertoire. And in fact, indigenous people in this landscape have been using fire as as a tool to restore certain landscapes and to maintain them. So traditionally, fire would be used to promote the growth of certain species like red pine and blueberries, which are both fire-dependent species. So Abenaki folks would use red pine as a building material. They would use the pitch from the pine um, to build canoes and other materials. And Blueberries obviously were a very important food source, so this was sort of a way to maintain that that landscape. And I spoke with Paul Pouliot, who is an Abenaki leader in the state, and he is working with the U.S. Forest Service cur- currently on some research to sort of answer some key questions about how fire was used. So for Paul Pouliot, a couple of those questions are how often were these burns occurring? So what they, they know that they were sort of a cyclical burning system, but it's unclear exactly how many years apart those burns would occur, and also what part of the year, what season of the year they would burn. So there's some, you know, Paul Pouliot believes it could have been in the spring because that's a time where the fire danger wasn't so high. Um, And so that created these sort of landscapes that we have descriptions of from sort of early colonial accounts of the landscape being almost like a parkland and that there were these big, wide paths that, you know, were wide enough to bring a cart and oxen through. Um, And so obviously those those landscapes were were being maintained in a very particular way. And and now um, this research is is working to bring that back to the landscape and to to use it. Again, yeah, and those obviously those landscapes uh, look very different than what we have today. But but how could those prescribed burns, you know, now in modern times, how could they benefit New Hampshire's ecosystems? What, what would those prescribed burns do for us? Yeah, and this is actually a tool that you know, in addition to the research that's being conducted by the U.S. Forest Service and Abenaki folks, it's it's a practice that's the um, New Hampshire Fish and Game is already using to benefit uh, the landscape. So so they're using this. Um, for example, there's going to be a prescribed burn um, scheduled this this fall that'll happen near the Concord um, Airport, and and that's a really particular uh, landscape there. It's very sandy ground, and it it benefits um, a, a, some endangered species in the state. So that includes the state butterfly, which is the Carner blue 
butterfly. That butterfly depends on lupine, which kind of grows in this particular area. But without fire on the landscape, there's other sort of trees and shrubs that grow in and they sort of shade out the lupine and they outcompete it. So without the lupine, you don't have the Carner blue butterfly. And also, it's really fascinating. So the fire actually deposits a significant amount of nutrients in, in the soil after a burn year. And so the lupine grows very, very um profusely in that year. And then it's also more nutritious for the for the butterflies. And so as a result, they lay more, um, they have more offspring the next year. And that sort of um, influx of, of butterflies, that helps them to... That cycle will continue. Right. Yeah. We encourage listeners to check out Amanda's series at NewHampshireBulletin.com. New Hampshire Bulletin's Amanda Goki and HBR's Maura Hoplamazian. Thank you both so much for coming in for the recap. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. You can find more of their work and all the stories we talked about this morning as well at nhpr.org. And while you're there, we suggest you check uh, check out the New Hampshire News Quiz. It is a quick, fun, and informative way to test your knowledge of the week's news. And you can sign up to get the quiz emailed to you, by the way, or you can check it out. It's fresh every Thursday evening at nhpr.org slash quiz. And, of course, we're here next week with more top headlines. I'm Rick Ganley. This is NHPR.